Welcome to Model Rail Radio. I'm Tom Barbele, and this is being recorded live on Skype April 8th, 2017. Model Rail Radio is the internet's only live recorded radio show where the topic is the hobby of model railroading. So I'm recording a new podcast with former Model Rail Radio participant Brandon DiCamillo. It's going to be called Attic Aficionados, and it's associated with collecting a wide variety of stuff and crazy stories this evening involving my Oligatani. And Joe D'Amato keeps calling through the podcast recording. And I do apologise, Brandon, I just said, look, sorry, we're going to have to cut this thing short, because Model Rail Radio is supposedly starting in 40 minutes, but everyone wants to talk trains. Joe, it's been a long time yes. since you last chat. I understand the need. I understand the persistence. I understand late night, Saturday night, this is exactly the time that you yeah. want to talk associated with the hobby. Well, I got to shoehorn you in on my social schedule. Exactly. You know, Saturday night's packed. Exactly. So, yeah, the life of a model railroader. Exactly. <laughs> What's been going on in your model railroading hobby? Uh, boy, not a whole lot with work. Um, uh, I've been uh, most Saturday mornings. I I go to the office and work for a couple of hours, mm-hmm. and then I um, tear apart whatever I worked on the week before. Mm-hmm. And uh, but I think I'm getting pretty close now to what I want. I'm I'm just trying to do a switching layout at home. And uh, I modeled Pacific Electric in mm-hmm. L.A. in about 1960. I'm spending more time actually just doing little stuff with my blog and some modeling projects, um, a few cars I want to scratch build and uh, some structures. So I'm kind of, you know, kind of nibbling around the edges, um, trying a, a different tact instead of putting track down. I'm, I'm thinking about structures and industries and things like that. And it's a, you know, just a point to point L shape to um, uh, 18 inch wide door blank door skins basically around the corner you know i've been experimenting with different track plans and it's been a lot of fun you know i'm just at some point i'll, I'll actually get down to work and do something i may have to take time off from work to focus on it <laughs> <It's in your laughs> yeah. Exactly. Exactly. yeah i mean i do trains time. all day long <laughs> yeah be- i mean i think we've wrapped previously but a beautiful time in la's history just completely iconic associated with the cars and the mm-hmm. new architecture and the massive influx of people that LA was experiencing at that time. So what kind of industries are you thinking about? Um, well, uh, Pacific Electric did a lot of stuff. They serviced several uh, of the citrus industries. They all went all the way from um, you know uh, eastern LA uh, up to Arrowhead Water, which was up on, uh, yeah. up on the slope of uh, uh, San Gabriel's there, and then all the way down to the beach. Mm-hmm. So they had different districts and stuff. And what I've been modeling or working towards is um, – what they call the Orphan Spur, which is uh, uh, runs along Brand Avenue, and it was uh, a little L-shaped, uh, about uh, ten miles of track that uh, uh, was cut off at one end by Santa Fe, and then uh, mm-hmm. basically joined a yard on the um, east on the south side with the SP. So it, it it serviced, you know, it went through downtown. So there's a lot of street trackage, and then it went out into sort of the countryside at the time and uh, serviced a few small um, packing plants, and there was a box factory and some canning plants and things like that. So it's helping me a lot modeling by by really focusing down on a small area. That's prototypical. I mean, it has a short line anyway within a, a large uh, metropolitan area, and uh, it gives you a lot of freedom to you know kind of not worry about having to do something transcontinental, Certainly. but do something that's just point-to-point. Uh, 
and uh, uh, it's been a lot of fun. I mean, I've been working on it for years. I've got a blog that's uh, uh, kind of been uh, sitting idle for the last year, but uh, starting to put some more stuff in, involved in it. There's more articles I'll be putting in there pretty soon. So that's that's about it. You know, a lot of painting, and today I was doing a lot of laser cutting and uh, getting um, a little gas station put together and uh, uh, another packing plant. So, uh, so I started out with just doing cardstock models, <laughs> you know, just study models. I got went down to the art supply store and got some, um, oh, you know, cardstock, some thick stuff. Uh, um, I forget the name of the the brand, but it's uh, fairly thick. And laser cut just blocks and uh, floor plans basically, and put them on the layout and the layouts and track to find a figure out flow and things. And right. I've been more and more relying on Lance Weinheim's books. Um, he's really into minimalism. Uh, he's you know he's sort of the grandfather of uh, one spur layouts, mm-hmm. <laughs> one switch one switch layouts. So you know I've been looking at that and taking some cues from him, and and really it's been, it's helped a lot because it's so easy to put too much uh, to uh, you know turn a, a simple layout into into a, like a spaghetti factory. Certainly. And uh, I try to avoid that as much as possible. And then and by constantly referring to the books and being realistic about what I'm going to do, you know, and not trying to replicate every curve but just get the the ability to to uh switch an industry you know work out switch lists things like that uh, it's been a lot more interesting and uh i don't feel so overwhelmed by you know the work ahead so your choice of colors is something i mean i i love films from that period and mm-hmm. in particular i mean even modern films that try to capture that period the colors are so unique and so, I don't know. I mean, like, they just capture the period so well. Can you talk Vivid. a little bit about your, your your choice of colors and how you've gotten the right kinds of tones together? Oh, yeah. Um, well, um, online. You know, there's a, a Pacific Electric has a really nice historical uh, website that's divided up by, by districts. Mm-hmm. A lot of it, most of the photos are black and white, but what's happening more and more is I'm starting to see more color show up. And, uh, and there's also um, a few other uh, websites. Uh, one's called, I think it's a, something to do with the uh, skyscrapers is the name of it or something, mm-hmm. but it's, it's, it's a lot of uh, nor vintage photographs from all over the world. And it's uh, the, uh, the Los Angeles section of it just chock full of colors, of photographs from the fifties, early Kodachrome, you know, Kodachrome, sure. really bright, vivid images. So I look at that kind of stuff, and then um, you know I, you're seeing a lot of ex- back then. There was a lot of experimenting with colors because as the technology was was uh, you know f- as far as paints go, we're starting to come into vogue, and and you're using color to attract uh, business uh, to their um, to their stores and Certainly. things. Yeah. So um, I look at that kind of stuff. Uh, I'm trying to be true to the colors, but I also I scale it down a bit. Like this uh, this today, I'm working on this. It's a fairly large gas station that's uh, stucco, and uh, the original building was all white. And I went and I I did that, and then I came back and I use uh, uh, like you know this hand soap that uh, has grit in it. And I mm. use that for like a, like for masking, yeah. and I dabbed that in places, and then I sprayed it over with a uh, kind of a yellowish white, the whole thing, and then came back and did a uh, a, a parting line down below mm-hmm. the windows with a contrasting color like an orange, oh, yeah. which I'd seen on this other building. 
and then clean it all off, wipe it all off so I get the chip paint effect. And I came back and I muted the whole thing with the base yellow color that I had sprayed the um, the building with. So I, I get the essence of it, but I've, I'm going to have a, the scale effect. You know, I want to. I don't want to be too bright, but I want to be able to show those kind of colors like you're talking about you know there's uh sign work is where it really gets crazy you oh, know, yeah. little re- restaurants things like that you start introducing a lot of neat colors and with windows there's uh, you know uh, especially on stucco you know there's totally. some really unusual colors so a lot of it is just you know paying attention to what you see online and and what's what's going to fit you know? it's interesting That's because la has gone through phases associated with the colors in certain areas I can't think of the place that we went to. We were down there a couple of years ago. And some of the older neighborhoods that still have the buildings, but obviously through the 80s, they were probably like whitewashed and these kind of yeah. things have gone back to the original colors. And it's yeah. just an amazing visual thing. You see that in Miami too. Like mm. I said, I lived in Florida for 10 years before I came out here. And Certainly. I actually grew up in Cocoa Beach. And, and uh, when I was a kid going to the Keys, we'd you know, drive through Miami and it was nothing crazy. It was pretty dull actually yeah. and run down, you know. Um, but it's been revitalized. And so people started doing research. And there's a, um, even around here and, and in San Francisco, you know, there's, there's uh, historical uh, architecture and uh, architectural design. Where they go back and they find the original colors and and uh, paint these buildings up and they become you know really bright and vivid. Um, uh, so you're seeing that in LA too, and especially in in the more upscale areas out towards the beach. Yeah. Uh, some of the downtown areas, like where um, uh, where Los Angeles Junction Railway is, which is a big industrial area. Yeah. Um, you could drive through there and see a lot of color, surprisingly, for a warehouse district, which is all it is. Mm-hmm. It's just it's a sea of tilt-ups, you know. But um, you just pay attention to the details, you know, the window frames, uh, gutters, uh, appliances, things like that. It, that's That brings it out. But you're seeing a lot of that more uh, traditional uh, colors that these, these buildings were painted during the 50s. You know, I, I'm struggling with how much downtown to show, how much er- – urban mm-hmm. how much you know uh, agricultural to show um and and trying to do it in a way where it makes some sense yeah so so that's the main thing i mean, uh working on some resin freight car kits uh, that fit the era uh i i'm i've gotten a particular interest in arrowhead water mm. and how that was all done and mm. if you if you look at it i uh if you look at the, the the history of how that water was transported, you know it started out with uh, flat cars with three uh, metal casks on it, uh, <laughs> with with uh, uh, you know it looked like a like a tank car cut in certainly, threes yeah, basically. Yeah, certainly, yeah, yeah. And that's sort of been the holy grail for me. And uh, and uh, recently, a, a company came out with one in brass, uh, and they published photographs and 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 they had uh, CAD drawings. Uh, the, for the product development, and that's all I needed. So I've been uh, working on that. I need to have some of those because they were very pretty cars. And again, mm-hmm. you talk about color. You know, they were white with uh, the Arrowhead logos. Were was uh, was a big Arrowhead that was blue with a black cheat line. Same thing with the the lettering and stuff. And uh, then after that, they went to these uh, more traditional like flat cars with the mm-hmm. tank car tank so, on it. Same thing. They were either silver or white with a big, and they were just like a billboard across the side. So I think the, the brightest colors that I'm de- dealing with are going to be on the freight cars. And I'm using the back, the colors in the backdrop, I'm muting them down. So they're, they're more of a supporting role than, mm. than dominating it. You know, that's the, the, that's the real struggle in model railroading is, oh, yeah. is, is getting that mix. You know, I've, I, uh, I've seen so many layouts where 
it's you know it's overwhelming the number of structures and and they, you know you're not sure who the who the star of the show is whether it's the the dioramic <laughs> or yes. or the trains or, or whatever yes. you know there's several real famous layouts that are like that that are just I mean uh, it's just packed with kit with uh, buildings of course. And the freight cars get lost in it. You know, I was at one time I thought about doing a state belt railway, which is in San Francisco. And mm-hmm. when I worked there, when I got out of college, I worked at Bechtel Engineering, and we used to have lunch every day at a place, a uh, little hot dog, um, uh, Red's. Uh, is it the Red's Hot? Something. Anyway, it's a little hot dog place on the corner there. It's still there, apparently. Mm-hmm. And um, we'd sit there and watch state belt go back and forth. And I always thought, man, this would be fun to model this, you know. Mm. And um, and there were, there's been a nice art. There was an art article done in the 80s in Model Railroader where they did a garage style layout with it. Oh yeah. And uh, I really liked it, but again, it was it was like you know there were more structures than than operation and trackage. And then I started thinking about well, it's like a big architectural model, and the, and the train is just kind of you know the movement. So it's it's a it's a balancing act. And and guys like Lance, you know, who's I keep going back to him, he's. You know, he's done a really good job of kind of balancing those two. Certainly. And, uh, you know, at first I was kind of resistant to it. I thought, well, this is crazy, you know, one, two switches and investing all that time. <clears throat> but then you start looking at the structures and how he places things. And you know, he's got a real real good eye for that kind of stuff. The prototypes are so interesting and so simple as well. I mean, to do yeah. it with I mean, the beauty of a lot of Lancer stuff is sometimes he actually removes track. I mean, he's removing track yeah. turnouts at certain certain situations yeah. and it makes it even more interesting associated with this layout. So yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Sean. Yeah. And I've gotten, um, uh, I've, I've really gotten more and more, um, attracted or attached to, uh, uh, printed patterns. There's so many good websites out there that give you, you know, wood siding and roof material and just concrete, whatever. Oh, yeah. And you, you pay a buck or two bucks for it uh, and you download it. And you use it as much as you want. And boy, you talk about a time saver. I, you know, I'm a I'm a practical effects model maker for years until I started doing this engineering gig. And you know, I'd build architectural models down in the Bay Area, and and so you you made everything, and everything had to be painted. And and uh, and I kind of you know that's kind of stuck with me forever. I always thought when I do a building, I'm going to have to you know how am I going to paint this and weather it and texture it. <laughs> And then I started yes. seeing these paper models and going, oh my gosh, you know, yes. that's better than I could I can do on my own. Certainly. And how easy is that, you know? So I just started buying um, buying these sheets from like Scale Scenes and a few others, and uh, downloading them and using them like on the building today, like roof. Okay, I mean, it's so easy to mess up a roof, and they make different textures and mm-hmm. heck, you know, it's photorealistic. It looks good. And I've done structures at the club. There's a gigantic uh, plywood shed um that's on the layout that that i built i've built three times now and the, the last time <laughs> first two times one was all laser cut just like yeah. my traditional architectural modeling and way too much work and of course we you know we were we were splitting hairs over scale mm. and then i did it again using uh styrene and it just still wasn't looking quite right because it's all ribbed work and then i i found scale scenes had a had a weathered rusted uh, metal siding there you go. so i downloaded that printed it on uh, self-adhesive uh, uh, paper i laid it onto the mdf and ran it through the laser cutting it all the parts out stuck it together i mean in an afternoon i had this gigantic building done and it looked so much i mean i could have done it by hand but it would have taken so long to do yes. it and 
this thing popped out and it, it serves a purpose. It, it looks good. And, um, you know, it's, uh, you can't tell until you get right up to it that it's not three dimensional, you know, the, the surface. What's interesting as well through this, I mean, oftentimes the more times that you touch something, it's subtle, but it changes its appearance. And a lot of these industrial structures are fabricated mm -hmm. in such a way that you want to touch it a minimal amount of times. Like actually the structure yeah. itself has a particular, you know, I mean, it's it's built in bulk, it's shipped out, it's put together, and I think the beauty of a lot of the, you know, paper and card stuff is you get to mirror that without, I mean, in terms of prototype, and particularly prototype at scale, it works very well. I'm not sure if you've seen uh, Seth Newman's layout. Yes, he, I have. Yeah. He uses that to great effect in a number of his industrial mm -hmm. buildings, and yeah. it's actually really beautiful at scale. I mean, Seth is... I've talked about Seth's layout in terms of like trying to, it's an interesting trade-off because it's, I mean, some of the buildings are not quite prototype size, but they're pretty big by standard model railroading terms. Yeah. And I think it's fascinating to see that, as you say, at industrial scale, these kind of techniques actually work really, really well. Right. And the beauty of it is this is old tech. This is old tech, mm -hmm. right? I mean, way, way back in the day when my dad was doing stuff, he was, you know, pre-painting card stock oh, yeah. and cutting it out yeah. and, and pre-weathering it and, or marking it up or, or whatever, and you apply it. That was really old-school model-making. So it's kind of mm -hmm. cool that it sort of made this, uh, you know, with, with Photoshop. You know, we do a lot of it at work with our oh, yeah. our, our weathering and stuff. Uh, but the the to be able to buy the stuff, for, it's, a, it's a bargain. I mean, at, at 10 times the price, considering what you can do with it. I mean, they've got whole road systems that you can do. Of course. And Lance, Lance has used that. And, mm. uh, and it looks, you know, again, you know, your, your, your structures and your scenery, they're, 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 they're the co-star of your, of your layout. Yes. Well, right. It's, that's, that's they're, they're, they're functionary. That's a point of contention. But yes. Yes. Joe. Yeah. We have a number yeah. of new folks on. Sure. Please stay on the call. I've got a few things that I'd like to talk to you about, but I want to get through the new folk. And yeah, sure. hopefully we'll have a chance to chat sometime later in the call, but thank you for calling in. I'd like to welcome on Jonathan Jones. Jonathan, this is your first time calling into Model Rail Radio, but I really have enjoyed your posts through the Facebook group, particularly associated with operations. As this is your first time calling in, please introduce your model wire writing interest. Well, thanks a lot, Tom. I love your love your um, your site here on Facebook, and I'm glad to be participating. So I'm interested in a wide array of things in model railroading. I suppose if I had to say some of my favorite aspects of uh, the hobby, I'd say probably track laying mm -hmm. um, and structures and layout design and of course operation I, I would say those are probably the top four or so so in terms of your layout are you modeling a prototype is it a freelance layout what kind of stuff are you doing on your layout well um this layout is uh is interesting in that it's it's got a couple of uh actually a few firsts involved um for me i've built i'd say probably three layouts before this one um, but this is my first in N scale. Uh, my previous layouts had been in HO. Mm -hmm. This is also the first one where I'm following a distinct and very specific prototype um, in a very specific place on that prototype. And it's also the first one where I'm 
how should I say, deviating somewhat from the the normal presentation of uh, of, of the, your your the typical model railroad. Mm. Um, and uh, so those are those are three things that are firsts for me on this layout. So what is the prototype that you're modeling specifically? This particular prototype is the Central Railroad of New Jersey. Mm-hmm. And uh, that railroad had a branch line that ran from uh, Jersey City, New Jersey, right across the river from, uh, from Manhattan, New York. And it went uh, almost in a straight line, about six and a half, seven miles, all the way to um, Broad Street Station in Newark, New Jersey. Mm-hmm. It was a great little uh, little branch line. It had tons of industry. It had a lot of uh, commuter operations on it. And um, so I decided to make a model of that. And one of the things that interested me about it was it's an urban an urban environment, rather. And it um, the, the Broad Street Terminal, which is the place that I model, is actually re- in, its, in itself is a very, very small terminal. I said to myself, hey, this is great because it's got a little bit of everything in this really small place. It's got an engine terminal. It's oh. got a huge freight warehouse. It's got a team track. It has passenger um, operations, both commuter and long-distance passenger trains. It has freight switching all in this little terminal surrounded by buildings and other railroads and uh, it ha- also had a very heavy infrastructure because it was an urban railroad, so it didn't look like your typical sort of backwoods branch line. Mm. So it, all of that in a very, very small place, and I found that in N-Scale, I could model pretty much all of it without compressing it to the point where it didn't resemble the actual thing. Certainly. Uh, now, how big is your layout? Um, the layout is about, it's just shy of 24 inches deep. It's, I think mm-hmm. it's at the deepest, it's about 21 inches. And it's approximately 15 feet, but I, I plan on adding a small L-shaped staging yard off of mm-hmm. one end and extend it to about 20, 20-something feet with a small leg. Once you turn the corner, that's about another four feet or so. Right. So, as you mentioned, structures are a point of interest for you in the hobby. Clearly a series of very iconic structures in the area that you're modeling. Can you talk a little bit about approaching these structures in N-Scale? Sure. That's a good good, uh, topic. So, I think one of the things I'm finding in N-Scale is that it's really critical to make things as close to scale as possible, but... Because N-Scale is so small, and this is one of the reasons that I was um, attracted to it, I feel like I wanted to exploit its small size and exploit the fact that because it's so small, it will allow you to make some things more abstract, Mm -hmm. and you won't lose anything from doing that. So in terms of making my structures, I was just listening to the previous conversation. I think that was Joe D'Amato talking. Mm -hmm. Um, And he was talking about using uh, brick papers and painting things on and and things like that. And that's something that I definitely plan to to exploit and to explore. And I also think that you can use that in combination with fully three-dimensional objects to create a sense 
of uh, of depth, and uh, you know that's something that I really want to experiment with um, on this layout. Although I'm I'm going back and forth between what other types of techniques to use. For example, I could I could do it out of the tried and true, you know, cardboard or cardstock mm-hmm. and wood bracing, or I could do something with styrene, mm-hmm. or um, I could even do something with 3D printing. And I found that so far, um, I tend to stick with the cardstock and wood. Uh, and I think that's mostly because I'm just very comfortable with it. Um, I work, uh, I, I'm an architect by, mm-hmm. by training. And I worked as an architect for many years, so you know that's what we always used. So I tend to stick with those methods and uh, just just use them as best I can, and and uh, in in order to um, get the effect that I want. And I have a feeling that I'm going to stick with that, although I might enhance it somewhat with uh, 3D printed parts. And I've Excuse I've me. done a bit of that already on the layout. So um, that's in a nutshell, that, those are some of my ideas about how I want to approach the structures. It's very interesting that you mentioned that you're an architect, because certainly looking at your layout, there are various people in the hobby, like various professions. You have the engineering types, you have priests, yeah. <laughs> but the architects have a very visually specific means of approaching problems. And when I saw your layout, I'm not, did you did you share that you were an architect on the Facebook group as well? Um, I, I don't know that I did. I don't yeah, know but that it was I... something that was just the approach. I thought this guy's clearly an architect. <laughs> right? so, you know, with Alan, you did it dimensionally. Subtle, <laughs> subtle. So in terms of your prior layouts, I'm really interested in hearing, because typically by the time people come to their third layout, they've made a series of mistakes. What were your prior layouts? So the first layout I built was when I was, I think I started it when I was 11 or 12 years old. And uh, it was a, you know, it was a four by eight and it was divided into two sections, basically two squares with a hinge in the middle. It was a, uh, a plan that I got out of an old model railroading book, I think that was published back in the 60s called mm-hmm. the, the, I think it was called the Complete Guide or the Practical Guide to Model Railroading or the Complete Book of Model Railroading. Okay. And it was by David Sutton and I, that's what I, that was my first layout. And um, I stuck with that one for a while. And then when I got into uh, the later stages of high school, I built the San Juan Central layout. That was Mm -hmm. a project railroad that uh, Model Railroader had. And I built that up. Um, Never never really got it to the point of full operation. That that layout had a lot of experiments for me, such as hand-laying track and turnouts and other things. So that was the second layout. Then um, I took a brief hiatus from layout building as I finished college and uh, got into graduate school. And then in my last year of graduate school, I started working on my third layout, which was a two by 10 foot switching layout. Mm. And I built that um, and I built it so that it came apart in two sections. I think I built the bench work while I was still in grad school. Because I had access to the shop and everything, and I knew I'd be moving, you know, to New York or some city, and oh, yeah. you know, I said, let me just get this done now because I know I'm not going to be able to do it when I get to the city. Um, and so I built that, and it was uh, I was very fortunate to have that featured in Model Railroader. Wow! Uh, I think it was 
the May 2001 issue, I want to say. Yeah. I think and, I know that issue. Interesting. Yeah. So that was my third layout. And I had that one until, I'd say, maybe 2005, 2006 mm-hmm. or so. And um, then, I, then I moved and got some other ideas. So um, I dismantled that one. I kept a lot of the structures. Um, but then I started thinking about other scales. And uh, I started thinking like an architect <laughs> is, is what did it. Thinking about other scales, other ideas, other things to explore. And uh, started thinking about this current layout probably around 2006, 2007. Mm. And um, it took me many years to bring those thoughts and all the way up to the point of actually designing and starting the layout, which I started probably about, say, three years ago. So, yeah. Interesting. Interesting. So where are you currently based? Um, I'm currently based in Brooklyn, New York. Interesting. So when you build a two, was it two feet by 10 feet, your third layout? Yes. Can you find, I guess you can find spaces in, in most major cities like that. I'm thinking certainly in the apartment side, <laughs> you'd be lucky to find 10 feet straight in yeah. any given direction, but yeah, interesting. Yeah. Oh, that's a, that's an interesting thing because when I, when I was moving, when I was finishing graduate school and getting ready to move and looking for apartments in New York city, which is never an easy task. Um, you know, whenever I'd see apartments, if it didn't have a wall that was an unobstructed wall, in other words, no, <laughs> no, bumps, no columns, if it didn't have a wall like that, that was at least 10 feet long, then I just didn't look at it. So Very good. Very oh, good. Yeah. I just made it a priority and it, things seemed to work out. So, um, yeah. Very good. So your current layout obviously featured on the Facebook group. Mm-hmm. Do you have a time frame associated with it? I don't. Um, I I find that um, you know my you know the typical I don't want to say the typical layout, but I mean I I could say well I want to have this finished by X amount of time, but or X or after X amount of years. But I'm I'm finding as I build it that it's um, quite a complex little beast, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> and there's it, there's just it, there's a lot of intricate things to figure out because I'm, I'm taking this approach that I haven't, I haven't taken before. And the layout is in some ways deceptively complex. Um, so I don't, I don't have a timeline. Um, I try to make sure I keep making progress on it and, um, posting things to the Facebook page. It actually helps with that. Wonderful. Uh, so, um, so I don't have a timeline, but I do, try to make sure I make specific progress on it. And I don't feel like I'm like my interest is waning because I, I really am very invested in the project and um, it still is very intriguing to me on many different levels. Certainly. Uh, so, so far so good, even though I don't have a timeline on that. So one question I didn't ask, have you picked an era for the layout? I have, although it's not, it's not as clean as just having uh, <laughs> This is having an era. So my if the official era is 1955, mm. and reason for that is because the CNJ stopped uh, running steam locomotives, I believe, in 1954. Mm-hmm. And the CNJ, at least on this particular line, had a number of very unique locomotives. Um, they had camelbacks. They had, at one point, they had these interesting 
262 side tank locomotives and they had some other 464 tank locomotives and none of those is available in N-Scale. Hmm. I figured I, I wanted to pick an era where um, it was it had all the great accessories of railroading that we like, but running diesels was was appropriate. Hmm. And picking an era where I could get the appropriate power in N-Scale and 1955 fits, fits all of that. It's interesting that you live in Brooklyn now because I'm thinking of N-scale industrial outs. We have a fellow on periodically called The Professor who's an Australian, funnily enough, but absolutely loves Brooklyn and these areas. And he has a Brooklyn 3AM layout, which is an N-scale. It's, it's 1990. It's not 1950, unfortunately. But, uh, yeah, that whole area is so iconic. And then you get down to like the street level. So yeah. the stuff that you're talking about just associated with the structures, but then it comes down to the street level and, I'm really looking forward to seeing the progress that you make with your layout. Oh, thank you, Tom. Yes, I'm uh, I'm continuing to forge ahead, and uh, hopefully, I'll be posting updates as I as I make more progress. Wonderful, wonderful. The thing that I love about your photos is particularly the level of detail and sensitivity to operation. And mm-hmm. I think this is something that you've talked about a little bit. But as someone who used to model in N, and someone who used to model in N specifically for operating interest, it's an interesting problem in N scale to create what historically would be HO operating interest layouts. Can you talk a little bit, I mean, are you just following the prototype to the exact level of detail, or are you making adjustments associated with operations? I am. I'm, I'm following the prototype as closely as possible. I mean, that this this gets back a little bit to the era thing, because... The CNJ, when they built this terminal, which I think was just after World War One, I, I, I noticed it as all in all the history that I've read that they made a lot of changes to it. Mm. Uh, so, so what I so really by 1955 they had made enough because business had gone way down. So they had made enough changes to it that it it didn't have quite as much complexity as it did in you know say the 20s. So what I've done is I've taken the I've taken, I've looked at all the iterations of the track layout there from the time it was built to say the early sixties and I've squished them all that kept everything, all the interesting stuff, but it, it is pretty faithful to the real, the real one. I mean, the real, the big, the most, the biggest change is that, um, I've shortened the length of some of the tracks because mm. the was probably another, you know, half again as long as what I've got. Other other than that, it's pretty faithful to the track arrangement around, say, 1940. And I'm pretty much following that, um, partly so that when I start to really get into operation, that I won't have I won't have any issues. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I won't take out tracks that I actually need, or have extra tracks that I don't need. Certainly, certainly, Jonathan. It's been a long time coming. I'm really pleased to have you on the call tonight. As you noted with Joe, we've got a few other folk on the call that no doubt will uh, add some inspiration to the stuff that you're doing, but please feel free to jump back in uh, if you've got anything to add or you have any questions. Pleasure chatting. Okay, certainly, Tom. Thank you. I'd like to welcome on Brian Doherty. Brian's called in a couple of times, but I think this is the first time we've actually had a chance to chat with you. So this is your first time calling in. Would you like to introduce your model railroading interests? 
Well, my model, railroading interest has primarily been N-scale. I started out with HO, but uh, I started to get into N-scale when I was in college because I like to um, get stuff um, have more detail than what I was doing in HO. But my primarily model interest right now, like I said, is, a, is N-scale. I'm building a um, six-foot by six-and-a-half-foot L-shaped layout mm. uh, bent dog bone in my garage primarily. Uh, right now, I've got two teenage kids yeah. I'm trying to raise with my wife, so uh, it's been pretty much on uh, the back burner for right now. I just I <laughs> like to listen to other people, see what, uh, what they're doing and hear what they have to say, trying to get some ideas for when I do get uh, oh, uh, re-interested, I guess. Certainly. Yeah. So are you modeling a particular prototype, or are you, you freelancing? I'm freelancing. It's a, um, a sectional route uh, off the uh, Frisco subdivision, uh, the Fort Smith subdivision, mm -hmm. primarily between St. Louis, Missouri, and Fort Leonard Wood. Mm. It, there's a lot of uh, um, agriculture in that area, uh, trying to um, duplicate that area on, on, the, on the layout. This is my second layout. The first layout was a four by four model railroad uh, in N scale called the Brandywine Short Line from Model oh, Railroad in 1977. Oh yeah, there's a artifact. Four by four that I could fit under the bed. That's why I started to build that. Mm. Um, and now, I've, since I've got the house, I'm building a, a six, like I said, six foot by six and a half foot L shape. Like I said, uh, it's been kind of in, on the back burner right now. Okay. Okay. So. You've listened to Model Rail Radio for a while. What kind of things can we talk about? I mean, what kind of topics would you like to... We've got like a golden crew on tonight of folks. Brian Doherty, in terms of like topics, ideas, things that you want to hear more about, what can we talk about? I really don't have that much of an opinion about uh, what's going on. I'd, I'd like to listen and see what everybody has to say, what, uh, what everybody else's ideas are, and pick up from that. Certainly. Well, Brian, pleasure to have you on. Please stay on the call. Please listen in. I know you're a frequent participant in the Facebook group, but it's great to have you calling in this evening. Oh, nice, to, nice to be on, Tom. Thank you very much. I'd like to welcome back on Chris Adams. Chris, there are two Chris Adams on the show. You are the Chris Adams who is modeling Connecticut, correct? That's right. Yes, thank you. So, what has been going on in your model railroading hobby since we last spoke? Well, uh, it's been pretty busy, actually. I think since the last time I uh, checked in uh, a couple years ago, I went through a um, a period where I just about doubled the size of the layout, wow. and <laughs> which um, was already kind of on the uh, on the books, uh, something that I had I'd been thinking about doing, but really didn't think that I was going to have the um, the time and resources to do. But fortunately, I have a, a bunch of great friends that it, um, egged me on, and mm -hmm. I turned around and uh, <laughs> convinced them to help me. And where I had been originally planning on modeling just one and a half branch lines of the New Haven Railroad, it uh, expanded into, uh, to include the entire line from Hartford down to Old Saybrook, Connecticut, along the Connecticut River. Mm. including uh, the town of Old Saybrook and the very busy shoreline division of the New Haven Railroad, which uh, in my era had about 71 trains um, every day. So I went from a weedy branch line to um, trying to figure out how to give even just a little bit of a taste of the uh, yeah. the main line down on Old Saybrook. 
So, in terms of size, what? How big was your layout originally, and how big did it? Have, I mean, it, it seems like it's increased more than double. But how? What? What are the changes of size that have occurred here? Oh, uh, let's see. It started out um, in one room that was, uh, or is, I think, eleven by nineteen or so, um, thirteen by nineteen. And then in the other room, I had a couple of two by eight modules hmm. um, that would feed into the other room um, that represented the airline division um, coming into Middletown, Connecticut. And then, so from there, I expanded into the rest of the second room, um, taking up that and, you know, going from two two by eight modules to taking up that whole 14 by 18 foot room Mm. and then um, extended down across the bottom of the stairway into what had been my old bike shop. <laughs> um, but as my uh, interest moved from bike racing to, uh, to doing more of this layout, the, um, the bike stuff and the space devoted to it continued to shrink more and more. And so I expanded into that area with wow. uh, staging and a return loop. And um, that extension is about uh, five and a half uh, by 14 and a half feet. So Old Saybrook itself is only um, about a nine foot long scene. Mm. Um, my fr- uh, buddy of mine, um, Bill Schneider calls it, uh, a typical British type layout where you have, you know, the one scene, but staging on each end. So it Certainly. kind of, it almost operates, can operate independently, yeah. but we have the, um, the local come from new London, which is staging in the, in the shop area, come through old Saybrook, just like the prototype and then head up the Valley line, which is the branch line. And it provides quite a bit of contrast between the, um, the crazy busy area down in Old Saybrook versus the uh, four locals, uh, well, three locals on the branch lines, and then there's a um, an eastbound local on the shoreline as well. But um, you know, you, you really feel the stress being in Old Saybrook, and then you know you go up the line, and it's like, ah, okay, we own the railroad up here; we don't really have to worry about getting out of the way of anything. So, three rooms, an initial layout, an addition of a pretty busy, <laughs> as you say, no longer a branch line. <laughs> how are you gonna how are you gonna put this how are you gonna put this final piece in like i i'm assuming you have the space already allocated from what you've described i do and um i i had regular operating sessions on what what's called the valley line which is the uh the north end from hartford down to um to middletown had mm-hmm. regular um just about monthly operating sessions on that section for a while and then took about 18 months off to um, expand it down to Old Saybrook. And so that's all done and in place and um, operational. Um, we haven't, we're still dialing in the, um, the operations of the trains through Old Saybrook, but mm. the, um, the railroad is about ready to, uh, to go live again as soon as my really busy time at work calms down. But you can see a track plan at, um, it actually, uh, the website that I've got, um, Needs all three W's, strangely enough. I guess it's from 1996, but yeah. uh, it needs www. all one word. dot net, and there's a uh, track plan there on the uh, the homepage. Mm. But um, and where it says that, uh, I guess it's in a lighter color, and it's all proposed. But that's all built out now, so all that track Gosh. is in now. Amazing. So operating sessions at your house must just be a real hoot. <laughs> They they are. It's a it's an awful lot of fun. It was uh, it was great fun whenever I just had the uh, the two branches, which you know the airline um, branch and the valley branch. Yeah. You know, I'd have uh, two two men uh, crews, and then I would be the agent. 
that would uh, provide the paperwork for the um, train orders and the switch list and stuff like that. And um, it, it, you know, it was equal parts wanting to include more of the railroad and, and frankly, wanting to have um, more guys over that could do stuff. Um, it's, it's become a very social hobby for me. I used to be a lone oh, yeah. wolf. And, um, but now I think the, um, we had our largest operating session in, uh, I think it was January for, um, the weekend of, uh, Springfield show and we had 11 people mm. and that was, that's the maximum that, that we've ever had and the maximum that can really be accommodated comfortably. Mm. And, um, but the cool thing is that it's totally scalable. I mean, if I only have one buddy coming over, he and mm. I can just run one of the locals. Yeah. So, um, you know, he could really, uh you know, tailor it to however many people are available at the time, which is, um, not, I wish I was clever enough to have planned it that way. And I, I maybe subconsciously there was a, a little bit of that going on, but it's, uh, it's been a real pleasant, uh, surprise that it's worked out as well as it has. It always fascinates me, the multi-room layouts, because it's one dynamic, I mean, obviously the basement layouts and these kind of things, but the multi-room layouts always really fascinate me because as you say, you're caught in your classic British style layout doing right. like your own little world in one area. And then there's a whole other, as you say, like you have three rooms where each one could be like in turmoil or running completely smoothly. Exactly. oblivious to the other two rooms. Well, and between the, um, the actual physical walls, because they are separate mm. rooms, and the, um, and the backdrops, you really do get this sense that you're you're kind of up and away from from everywhere else, which is yeah. um, also something that was kind of planned, but is actually working out better than I had than I had even thought it would. But yeah, you come down into the basement, and the first scene that confronts you is the old Saybrook scene, and that's um, at a I would say it's about eighty five percent complete. There's um, a little bit mm. left that needs to be done um, scenic wise. I need um, you know to do. Uh, a bridge at one end and a signal bridge at the, the other end to really kind of book in the, the two ends of the scene. But I have uh, fascia and uh, valence in um, there and scenic. My friend Bill has built um, scratch built the prototype structures that were there in the era that I'm modeling, which is um, 1947 through 49. Although mm-hmm. if, if I want to be really particular, it's autumn of 1948. And, um, so you can get confronted with that and you see the, the trains going back and forth. And it's actually got a little bit of stadium seating. I mean, if you count the stairs, oh, <laughs> because yeah. you can you can sit on the stairs and watch the trains go by. But um, but then from there, it, um, you just uh, wander into the other rooms and you're in in different locales. I mean, there's only a couple other scenes on the railroad that are scenic. And the modules are fully scenic. But um, and by modules, I mean, just the two by eight foot sections Silly. that uh, represent the airline. But yeah, you go up on the uh, the valley line up north toward Weathersfield, and yeah, you're in a you're in a totally uh, different room, different world. So, in terms of you, you mentioned that you you know you wander between passing through the switch list and things like this. Do you anticipate telephones at some stage, or do you actually like the ability to move from room to room, passing paperwork? You know, it's it's interesting you ask because that is something that that has really just started occurring to me lately, especially as we started to. Um, get the um the shoreline operational as it is um my buddy randy hamill had um loaned to me a couple of walkie talkies so that the guy that's stationed at the west end of the main line uh, which represents new haven and points west mm-hmm. and the guy that's um at the staging on the east end which represents new london points east can actually talk to one another because basically they 
they launch trains from staging, you know, from one staging to the other to um, go through the scene. Yeah. And that's basically how the trains are going back and forth. Yeah. But that did give rise to um, how cool it would be if the crews could stay remote and contact the agent, yeah. which is at the bottom of the stairs, exactly. from from their location. Sure. Um, because right because right now, whenever they get to a town, they have their wheel report, which is their um, list of all the cars that are in their train yeah. um, from the originating terminal um, for what all the deliveries are. But as they get to each town, they got to report to the agent yes. to get the work in that town. And that agent is me, and I'm at the desk. So they physically have to walk over to the desk. If I'm not there, there's a bell. <laughs> so they can ring the bell and, <laughs> and alert me that I'm there, yes. uh, that I need to be there. And I hand them the next switch list. Yeah. But um, I was just operating on a, on a layout today with um, my friend Pete, and we were discussing on the way home um, how now that the shoreline is is building out and it's going to take more and more of that agent's time as tower operator because all the, the turnouts are powered by a control panel. Um, in Old Saybrook, all the turnouts on the, uh, the branch lines are all manual. That it would be... Um, kind of a distraction trying to manage all those trains as a towerman and also have to be the agent for all these towns mm-hmm. out on the uh, the branch lines. Sure. So just like the prototype, we could um, have either waybills or switch lists in the bill box at the town, but for train movements, you know, so that would be the car forwarding, but for train sure. movements to have them be able to call in, that would be, uh, that would be really ideal. And so eventually, yes, that's, that was the long answer. The short answer is yes, eventually. <laughs> yes. We have, on, we have on Dave Ramos as well. Dave, do you have audio? Yes, I had two different mutes on. I wanted mm-hmm. to bring Dave in particular because Dave has actually operated on your layout, right? Yes. Uh, so, about, was it about a month or two ago? Oh, yeah. Actually, it was a little longer. than I think it was back last, uh, it was the last October, I think, actually. It was, I think it was before the holidays. Or were, yeah. you, were, you, were you done no. at spring, for Springfield? Your obsession just before Springfield. Oh, good grief. Yeah. yeah, you were here. Wow. Yeah, that was a crazy night. I don't really remember a lot about it, except there were a lot of people. <laughs> mm-hmm. No. So, Dave, I'm I'm just amazed. I mean, Chris portrays a very nice, you know, I, I could see through Chris's words, the loud. But in terms of actually operating on the loud, can you describe some of the stuff that you experience? Well, Chris is 100% correct. It's three different rooms. So, I was off on a branch line. And I was by myself for most of the session operating the trains, mm-hmm. and I had to clear up for uh, for an express train that came by, and uh, it was very interesting. Um, he could have a large crew down there, and you you basically would be operating out in the woods to say and uh, not really interact with too many people and get your job done. It was a lot of fun. It was it was it was a very different experience Absolutely. than what I'm used to. Yeah, and it was it was really good. I really hoping hoping to get back out there soon. I mean, that's the thing that fascinates me about the multi room layouts is, is exactly as you say. You can you know something exciting and busy can be happening in like the middle room, but if you're on an end room, you're in your own world, and sometimes that's actually really nice in an operating session. So yeah, ah, it I'm also tends to... to be a little quiet too. So when you're Certainly. in there, you could really concentrate. Sometimes when you have a big room oh, yeah. and a lot of people talking, it's really difficult to understand what's going in certainly certainly well chris please post photos i know you have a website but please post photos to the model rail radio facebook group as well because this seems to be a layout that uh i'd like to see more photos of okay well uh there like i said there's only a, a couple of places that are scenic right now but um what is done i don't 
um, get to take any credit for it because my buddy Bill Schneider has uh, done a lot of that work. But I will certainly post photos of what's done because what's done is really, really very cool. And I can say that because I didn't do it. <laughs> well, Chris, a pleasure catching up with you. Please stay on the call. If anything comes up, jump back in. But yeah, really good getting an update. And I like hearing about layouts that expand substantially since I last had the opportunity to talk with a participant. So thank you for calling in. Oh, you're very welcome. Thanks so much, Tom. As we were chatting, Dave, your layout is, for me, an iconic layout. It could be the countless hours of YouTube footage. I've started a new podcast with uh, Brenda DiCamillo, who featured on a couple of really early model rail radio uh, recordings, but uh, it's come back into my life through another friend of ours. And I was talking with him associated with your layout this evening. In particular, the boxcar paradox of how many boxcars one can actually fit on a layout and how daunting boxcars in volume can be. How's your layout going? What's What's been happening recently in your particularly iconic layout? Well, um, I got rid of the mole staging mm. and I added... Um more traditional shotgun staging, uh, an upper and lower staging deck for 33rd Street and St. John's Park. Uh, this will allow me to pre-stage and not have to actually move cars on and off the railroad during an op session, just in between. Mm-hmm. And um, you were talking about uh, boxcars. Um, I have about <laughs> about 1,200 now. Yes. And it mostly because I'm, my wife will agree to this. I'm a little bit crazy when it comes to this. One of the things that drives me up the wall is when you go to layouts and the same car gets switched out at the same spot Hmm. every session or every other session or every third session. I'm cursed with a photographic memory when it comes to things that will never make me a dime. Mm -hmm. So when I drop the same exact milk car at the same exact siding every time, it it registers um, in my psyche and I keep remembering there. And all of a sudden, I'm no longer looking at the waybills. I just know that car goes there, that car goes there. Mm-hmm. And it's something that um, there are very few railroad cars that would be in captured service that would go back and forth. The yeah, Erie had nice. some. Yeah, Erie yeah. had some um, for basically uh, moving uh, automobile parts for their Mawa plant in New Jersey. So they had these specially modified gondolas to go from the piers to the plant and back and Certainly. forth yes, and all that. And then the central had uh, pacemaker cars where the cars were pretty much identical as B&O would have the Sentinel cars and they would use them in LCL service. And so a similar looking car would always be going to an LCL freight house. But I like to mix it up a lot and I like oh, yeah. to basically give people, you know, because basically – in an op session, everybody is going to be handling the same type of cars, the same cars going to the same industries and all that. So th- that's never going to change because that's what railroads do. And so the spice that I add is just mixing up and putting in more and more interesting cars um, and from different railroads. Uh, one of the things about going to traditional staging is now the cars will be handled a little bit nicer than they mm-hmm. were being handled by uh, the the crews handling the mole because there's a lot of pressure getting 
you know, 40 cars on and off every, you know, like 20 minutes mm. and, um, and it's making sure they're in the correct order and, and getting them sent out with a crew. So this basically eliminates that. It adds a whole new dimension to operating on uh, the New York Central on my layout. Uh, one of the problems that I had to do is to get the staging in there. I have now a 4% grade coming out to go to the High Line and a 3% oh, yeah. grade going to 33rd street wow so in order to achieve that because i didn't want to i didn't want to rebuild the entire high line so i basically uh have a 11 foot section where you have to raise uh between four and six inches depending mm. on which foot where you you know on 33rd and all that it's much to my chagrin the new atlas rs1s could pull about 12 cars out at that grade and the old ones could pull about 15 16 cars mm. Unbelievable! The old Roco, the Atlas Roco mm-hmm. S ones, could pull twenty five. But they had the weight, right? That's what yeah, you need yeah, in these circumstances. You, you, you basically, you know, drag a cat around with one of those. Exactly. But it, it's uh, so. So I'm not worried about switching a thirty third street yard with the grade and all that because the S ones will, you know, don't have an issue. Mm. But somehow or another, I got to figure out how to get an extra three ounces of weight in the old Atlas units and uh, mm. four ounces of weight in the new Atlas RS ones. But, you know, Lid. I'll figure it out. Lid. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's how you get it. Yeah. The government d- it frowns about using depleted uranium, which would be heavier, but, yes. uh, but lead's yeah. still pretty heavy. Like a small yes. amount of lead is ridiculously heavy. So yeah, I yeah. actually found it's, it's illegal in the States to sell lead now. It's wow. very hard to come by. They, they, wow. you know, it's it's not the easiest thing. To, if you go to a store, I mean, even weights for cars, which used to be weight, are now steel. But you can't. How about the fishing? I I bought fishing nope. weights. Yeah, a lot of those lead. aren't lead anymore. A lot of those are different materials. Mm, uh, most lead and came from China, so maybe yeah, you should, well, maybe you import them. Yeah, probably. Or you know, I'm worried if I get it from China, will it have melamine in it? So that's well, that's the other yes. thing. Yes. But uh, you know, it's. Um, I used to buy buckshot, lead shot, mm-hmm. and yep. um, much to my chagrin, <laughs> lead's gone. I mean, uh, so I go, I said, I need a, you know, they sell it in five pound boxes, mm. and I would use it to weigh everything down. And so, um, and it's tiny, and you use uh, basically uh, crazy glue to hold it in place or yeah. a uh, CA. And um, much to my chagrin, they said uh, they're no longer allowed to sell lead shot anymore. They mm. sell steel oh, shot. That's because and, it's, uh, that's just firearms related stuff. I think you yeah. could still actually for fishing and various yeah. like non firearms related things. I think you should still be yeah. able to get lit. Yeah. Well, remember, I, I live in, I live in New Jersey. So uh, mm. a lot of the stuff, <laughs> they go a little crazy about making sure you can't buy stuff in some of the stores. I know if I leave the state, I could probably get more stuff. <laughs> a lid run, an annual lid run. <laughs> <laughs> Where are you going Where to get some lead? <laughs> Very good. Dave, it seems like an inordinate amount of time since we last had the opportunity to chat. Associated with, like, model railroading and anything, are we missing any beats? Are we missing anything that you think is going on in the hobby that we should uh, be talking about on model rail radio? Well, um, there's a lot of stuff that um, that's going on with the JMRI and integrating it with signaling and phones and all that. Um, I had been experimenting with uh, some free software, one called Asterisk, mm-hmm. which is creating a phone system. And uh, I have very good friends who dial me back when I get crazy like this. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I was doing is I was originally planning on uh, tearing down the railroad and doing 
um, part of uh, the New York Central uh, West Shore Line and uh, the Hudson Line. And having dispatch, you know, basically it's all signaled and having dispatching and all that. And I actually have the schedules from the years that I wanted to 1920s and have the phone numbers for all of the offices. So there I was. I was programming this thing. I says, well, I'm going to have that phone ring with that phone number, that yes. phone ring. And one of my friends said, you crazy. You can't get people to read waybills. You're going to get them to dial the right number. <laughs> and what happens if they call so, the wrong number? You need to do something amusing if they call the wrong number. Yeah, I could probably do something like that, but it, it'd be yes. it'd be interesting and all that. But one of the things that I think that's that a lot more people are getting into signaling, mm-hmm. and um, I know I, I was talking to the the fine people at Atlas, and they had a signaling system, and we were talking about um, bringing back their signaling system. And one of the things I was telling them that um, uh, one of the worst decisions they could make is to bring it back that it only has optical input. Uh, need to have it so that it would input from uh, track detection or mm-hmm. from and maybe being controlled from JMRI. Certainly. Uh, uh, there is Dave Albeles has a uh, Conrail Ogundaga cutoff layout. If I, I if Dave hears this, I'm sorry if I if I butchered the name, and he actually has scale New York Central signals mm. on his layout because oh, the yeah. organ- that's basically New York Central Territory, and the signals are still there. And it boggles the mind when you see scale signals versus, you know, um, the lifelike signals. It, it, you know, the, just the difference in proportions on how they're grossly scaled up because they were using the lighting technology that existed 30, 40 years ago. And when LEDs came out, they didn't re- redesign them to be more scale. They just swapped the bulbs out for LEDs yeah. in some cases. So when you start looking at what's out there, um, one of the things that Dave also does is he does night operations where he actually turns oh. off the house, the house lights. Oh. And um, it, it's it's um, it's very interesting because his, his cup of tea is basically – the consists are moving and they'll change from train to train. He's not really concerned about what's in the consist because that's on, on modern operations. He's doing modern operations. Certainly. What he's concerned with is switching the locomotives out and switching the, the crews out. And he's, he's done an amazing job on, on getting this um, working. And it also doesn't hurt that he has people that design the system, you know, the, the operating system for it who actually do it for a living. He yes. works for New Jersey Transit. So yes. he has that mindset. He sees it every day. So he has a different – he's trying to give everybody the flavor of what modern operations are like. And uh, it's it's really it's really a, a, a taking a, a step back and seeing how somebody else approaches the hobby is, is very interesting to me also. Certainly. And uh, – that's and and also you know I'm all about operating. I go you know uh, I, I operated uh, at um, various layouts. Uh, tomorrow I'm actually operating at uh, that at uh, Perry Squires uh, mm. Pittsburgh Chalman, and that's a, if you ever get a chance, that is an exquisite exquisite layout. I would say it's the class layout in New Jersey. I would mm. say there's very few that are finer, more detailed, and more prototypically accurate operating. Uh, than uh, Perry Squires, uh, Pittsburgh, and Shawmans. So if you ever get a chance, 2018, 2018, yeah. I'm coming for your regional. I've been, I'm a guest speaker, so mm-hmm. yeah, take we got some extra time. I'm mm-hmm. really, really, I should just take a month off. 
<laughs> yeah, well, properly. right now, I, uh, my employer has given me several months off. Yes. I'm in the search of a new job search right now. So I've been oh, uh, I've been doing a lot of uh, uh, rethinking and trying to figure out how to get stuff done differently on my layout. Um, if you're interested, um, the before the end of April, the uh, second to last weekend in April, there's a uh, there's an obsession on Long Island called Island Ops. It's islandops.org. If you get a chance and you want to come out to see some really interesting layouts in Long Island and the Bronx and somehow oh my, my layout is associated with them, um, we'll be operating. Um, it's There's plenty of room still left over, so if anybody wants to come and see the, lay- and see the layouts and operate, this is a good weekend to your do layout, it. Your layout is a beacon layout, Dave Ramos. Your layout, like, within 300 miles of Dave Ramos's layout, yours is going to be on it. Iconic yeah. layout, always a pleasure chatting to. <laughs> I have one one interesting story, is though, Certainly. is that I have a really good friend of mine, Phil Monat, who is a professional lighting director. He mm. basically designed lights for... Uh, for, for movies and for, uh, for, uh, cinema and for mostly for theater. And if you pay him enough, he'll come to your home and do your lighting. And he had convinced me to put the staging in. He said, he kept on telling me, he says, Oh, it'll take about six months. Well, we're two years into it. Hmm. <laughs> two years as of tonight. Yeah. <laughs> the lad has oh, wow. uh, been undergoing, uh, renovations and all Happy that. Happy anniversary. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> Pleasure calling in. I've, I've been following your turmoils and. It's good to have some happy model railroading time sometimes, and I'm glad to be part of that tonight, Dave. Always a pleasure chatting. Take care. (laughs) I'd like to welcome back on Clark Cooning, who has thankfully turned down the World Curling Championships in order to talk to us this evening. Clark, since you were last on... You you painted a picture associated with retirement. I know summer yeah. is coming. I know yeah. the, the the boating season is about to be upon you. But in terms of your area, what have you done in the area in terms of model railroading since we last spoke? Oh well, in the last two weeks, I have painted the model railroad room, and uh, so far, I'm into. And I have to say this quietly in case the wife here is about $700 worth of uh, wood has mm. gone into the uh, bench work. Yes. And uh, I'm using all number one grade pine plus uh, cabinet grade uh, Baltic birch mm. for the for anything. So um, the layout is going up um, at the Elliott Lake Model Railroad Club. We've been busy with that. Uh, we're almost finished the total rebuild of the layout since uh, about a year ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've shown them the guys have built about uh, 65 fast tracks turnouts, I guess. Very good. Very and, good. And uh, we're just getting, just finishing the yard right now, well, two yards right now, and bringing everything into the sort of common or linked uh, engine facility at the mm-hmm. end of the two yards so we're finishing that let's see i'm coming to your neck of the woods in less than two weeks certainly and you've got to stop the sushi uh maybe uh coming into san francisco and then spending some time over in the oakland area and then we're going to bakersfield for the uh convention well we're on the way to bakersfield so you can stop somewhere along the way i'm assuming Uh 
<laughs> and uh, you know, it's a free sushi uh, meal. I mean, let yeah, me just point I that out. It's a free that. sushi meal. And 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 you know, living up here, there is uh, they consider sushi bait. So so let's let's take a step back here because you All mentioned right. something initially. Now the unit of wood purchase is named after Andy Dixon. So you've okay. made seven Millie Dixons worth of wood purchase <laughs> so far. Yeah, I bought a lot of uh, I don't know how many feet. The one uh, that's not one a lot of wood. Place. You need you you need to you need to spend some time in uh, in Wales in the Wrexham area to get an yeah. understanding of what substantial wood purchases are. The funny thing yeah. about Andy Dixon's layout is it's in a pretty regular size bedroom, but it's just solid wood, floor to ceiling. So in right. terms of in terms of your particular layout purposes, right? What is the wood going to be used for? Uh, well, the one by three pine is basically for the um, frames. I I tend to build very much like sort of uh, modulars, and they're attached to the wall. In my mm-hmm. case, they go all the way around the room. That's uh, basically twelve by twenty four. Maybe not quite that. Uh, not quite that wide, but it's eleven something, and um, and I'm kind of using the Pelly Soberg Danville layout um, track plan, yeah, um, as kind of the the basis. Except for I won't be modeling, uh, you know, California desert. It'll be Northern Ontario, but mm-hmm. I. I kind of like that track plan. Um, it gave me a lot of options, and as the guys were talking about. Uh, Staging is pretty important, Certainly. so I can support uh, sort of intermodals, two auto rack trains that'll be through trains, and two uh, uh, freights that will sort of uh, drop off and bring cars in and out. Now, yesterday, my lovely uh, wife said to me, well, why don't you go into the closet that's adjacent to the room it's a straight shot and you could put in more staging and i'm thinking oh okay so <laughs> so i may look at that but i gotta get all the railroad stuff that's in that closet um and it's a big closet it actually runs about uh oh i'd say 20 feet um along the along the wall um and it uh, it's got all bifold doors, so it's easy to open up, and the lay- and the staging would be right there. So that would be pretty easy to do. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. So your wife is suggesting that you take over more of the house for your land. Oh yeah. Well, we when we uh, when we bought the house, she said uh, it's a bungalow, and uh, you know the basement is completely finished. I didn't really have to do anything other than sort of paint the walls and fix a few holes and and put up the layout Mm. and um uh she said well you know the basement's yours Mm -hmm. and no train above the second step tom in the future remember that bleep (laughs) remember that bleep tom in the future i'm gonna say that again tom in the future remember the bleep so the interesting thing here so no no stuff Mm -hmm. railroad stuff above the second step and I said, well, I can, I can live with that. And uh, but she's really, uh, she's really supportive of of the hobby. Certainly. So no, I met your wife on a number of occasions. Wonderful, one. yes, wonderful. One. So, in terms of the other topic that we discuss on a regular basis, <laughs> yes, <laughs> that association, that model railroad yes. association, yes, the fabulous NMRA. What has been going on recently with the NMRA? 
Uh, well, we did have we voted to have a little bit of a dues increase, which is uh, you know nobody likes a dues increase, but there comes a point where your operations just require it, and that's where they were. And it uh, for three dollars, I mean, it's not a you know a big a big hit. So I think you know I always think uh, the NMRA is worth it. In, in many respects because of the people that you meet and the and the information you can glean from it and, and yeah, the health. pretty amazing so, chapters. I mean, certainly yeah. I, I'm literally three blocks from my local train club right. I, because of my Friday nights, and my Friday nights have only gone worse. They haven't gone better, and my boss is away currently. So basically Friday nights for me are just a complete write-off, but I donate, I think, two and a half times. Like, I'm two and a half members there. And I try to keep up with those folk, although it's very difficult and basically Friday nights are no good. I don't mind paying local dues for that. And I don't mind actually paying NMRA membership because what you find with the NMRA is that in the areas where it does very well and is very empowering for people, it is amazing. Yes. I just wish, I just wish there was some... I don't know, crack SWAT-like group in the NMRA that would go to those areas, distill down some of that aspect, and then take it to certain other areas. Now, Well, I what? think that's coming. I, I really yeah. do. I think uh, there's, I know at the last meeting uh, in Atlanta, the mid-year meeting, there was a lot of movement on, on, uh, on social media and stuff, and I think you're going to see a lot more of it. The big, you know, everybody wants to go digital, but... Uh, uh, right now, um, the membership doesn't seem to want to go that way. So it's, it's kind of a hard thing to, you know, you got to also listen to your membership. You just can't, can't go, Hey, we're going to work digital. So I think that's important to, to understand too, that there are members that a lot of the members say, Hey, I, we prefer still printed stuff. So, um, that's kind of where we are, but I think eventually things will, will uh move that way um i have no idea time frame but uh i think i think we're headed in the right direction i think we have some excellent uh uh people on that have and 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 people that have just come on recently as well onto the board and i think uh um there's a lot some really new neat ideas that are going to come out in the next uh, uh couple of years so and I think also, I mean, certainly talking with the Open LCB folk, the LCC right. folk. I mean, this is something you you were at. You invited me to the board meeting. What was it? Seven years ago now, maybe eight years ago in Vegas. Yeah. And I talked about all the amazing open source stuff that was going on. I talked about the model rail radio model, these kind of things. About two three years later, the Open LCB guys, through their hard effort. Was, were able to get the stuff standardized through the NMRA and work very diligently. And I think that kind of stuff has a permeating effect over time. And yeah. I'm, Certainly. I'm, and I, and I yeah. think, and I think you're going to see more and more of that stuff come out as people understand it. And, and, and certainly a couple of the manufacturers have, have made some really cool, um, additions to that, uh, mm -hmm. you know, stuff that, the average modeler can can install and and get working. So um, I think you're going to see a lot more of that coming out, and uh, you know the NMRA certainly supports all that. So um, overall, you know, I mean, there's always people who are going to say, ah, the NMRA. But if you really look at the whole 
the whole thing of the NMRA, it's a pretty great organization. And, and, uh, I think if you're a modeler, you really want, want to support it. Now, um, coming up, in, are you coming to Bakersfield to the convention? So you may have heard subtly something associated with my Fridays. Um, yes. Unfortunately, unfortunately, the, the Bakersfield convention is only a regional, right? Yes. Unfortunately, I love Bakersfield. I absolutely love Bakersfield. But unfortunately, my work schedule has not gotten quieter. It's, it's a different <laughs> kind of hectic now. Like, yes. it was migraine intensive hectic towards the end of last year. And thankfully this year, I've had a number of successes at work. And things seem to be like, I can actually, like, there's still the same intensity, but I'm actually able to control certain aspects of the thing that's going on. Which it sure. tends to happen when your boss goes away. So yes. it's an interesting period of time that I'm surviving through. And my view is actually, look, let's talk optimistically here, Clark. My view is next year, the regional that I am going to, because I've been invited as a speaker, right. is the Garden State okay. Regional. Yeah. And that also gives me the opportunity to meet a number of folk in that part of the world who are long-time participants in Model Rail Radio. I think the, pres- the regional president is a Model Rail Radio participant, right? Jim Walsh? Jim Walsh, the regional? Anyway. Um, previous offhand, I can't, I, offhand, I can't yeah. tell you, but anyway. I know I know uh, Ron Clayce and all those guys of are course, out there. Yeah, no, they're, they're bread and butter Model Rail Radio participants. I'm talking about, you know, yeah. people of distinction in the area. Anyway, <laughs> so my view is that that is the regional that I'm going to be taking some time off for in order to attend. I'd love to get down to Bakersfield. I'd love to yep. get down to Bakersfield, particularly because it's a model railroading. Like, within California, I've not been to a part of... Well, Berkeley's a bit like this, but some parts of San Francisco. But going to Bakersfield, they have model railroaders in the stores, in the second-hand stores. There were bricks of model railroaders that have been contributed... I've only ever experienced this in Michigan, and Michigan clearly is a model railroading mecca. So my view is that Bakersfield has all the elements that should get me there, but unfortunately I will not be coming to the regional. My participation in the regional will be making sure that you have a very fulfilling sushi meal <laughs> and utilize that energy in the early parts of modeling with the masters when you arrive there. Yeah, we're gonna, yeah, we're gonna do modeling with the masters. So if there's anybody who is listing and is in the area, maybe coming, they should register mm-hmm. for it. Um, I thought it already sold the, out. Has it, hasn't it already sold out? Uh, no, well, it may have closed. Okay. I haven't had the final numbers from the, from the convention team, which I'm hoping for Monday or Tuesday at the latest, cause mm-hmm. I gotta get the kits ready. But, um, one of the real cool clinics is uh, Jimmy Simmons is oh, yeah. doing it with me, and we're going to do one of his uh, brick buildings, which oh, is yeah. really – so I'm actually looking forward to that one. But, but uh, it's always a great show when you're there, so please – is, is Tim coming down too? Or is it no, just you? no, he's he is very busy. I don't know if you heard or you've seen probably his things on Facebook. He bought uh, Mount Albert Scale Lumber. I saw that. And, uh, so he, he's been working like crazy to get, well, he's got another shop basically mm. sort of on the, he's on the second floor and on the first floor, he's built a new, uh, basically a brand new shop, um, for Mount Albert scale lumber to go into. 
So um, he's been working on that. Plus, uh, he personally bought a house, and he's got a whole bunch of stuff going on. So um, he's he's been busier than the, just like you. He's busy, and and I know he's coming to our regional, which is May the fifth. Him and I are doing a couple clinics, mm-hmm. and uh, so we'll have some fun there. And uh, what else is happening? He, yeah, he. So he's just been busy, busy with with the with Plus the. Yep, with, with Jerry Cornwall, who is the current uh, owner of uh, mm-hmm. Scale Lumber. So, but uh, yeah, no, it's good to catch up with you. And for for anybody who's, I know Mike Dorney's uh, coming to the oh, yeah. to the convention, and I think Mike's taking a couple of the clinics. So I look forward to uh, hanging out with Mike for some of the weekend. Terrific, and, and uh, we'll still uh, we'll still have some fun. Most definitely. Most and if I and if I can talk to my friend who is in the Oakland area to get me over before we head down, I will make arrangements with you for the sushi uh, meal. Let's do that thing. All right, because I would. All right, thank you very much, and to everybody, uh, have a good night. Always a pleasure, Clark. Always a pleasure. Thank you. I'd like to welcome back on Jeff Shockley. Jeff, it's been a while since you were last on. What's been going on with Delmarva? Well, uh, not a whole lot. I haven't been able to get to many meetings because of my financial situation, but um, we've, um, we just came off of our um, 32nd annual open house season, and uh, we got about 4,000 visitors this year. Hmm. Wow, that's a good number. That's a good number. Yeah. And uh, in two weeks, uh, the first day clip here in Dover, we're having our 30th. Uh, model railroading merit badge grass for the Boy Scouts. Mm-hmm. Do you have and, numbers on uh, that yet? Do you get a sense uh, of how many people are coming? Right now, we've got six. Six. But That's we're we're still. I say we still we still got uh, we still got some some time left. We uh, I I found that it, people really don't start registering until that about a week to go, and then we get then we get hammered with them. Fair enough. Thirty years, you said. No, thirtieth class. Thirtieth class, not thirty years of teaching. How, how yeah, many we, times a year? Do yeah, you we, yeah, we 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 try to do it two times a year. We, we started in okay. two thousand three. Okay, still not too shabby. Still not too shabby. And we and and uh, not including this class, we've been we've awarded three hundred sixty four merit badges. That's good number. And two two of our graduates have joined our clubs, so we've got we've got we're getting some youth in, in, into our club. Very good news. Very good news. So, in terms of other model railroading in your area, are you are you doing anything currently? Every Wednesday, well, on Wednesday nights, I go uh, up up north uh, to the uh, you know the, the Wilmington area, and uh, we have there, there are six guys that have up, up sessions, and uh, one one week we go to to we split up into a group of two or two groups, and we go to one house each, and then we go to three different houses. So this. Uh, the second, third, and fourth weeks of the month. So we 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 operate on about six layouts a month. That's a good number. Are they the same six layouts every month, or does it circulate around the number of layouts? No, no, it, no it, 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 it's basically the same, the same, the same six, but different different groups. Well, the, the, the first the first month or the first week, uh, we, get, we we split between two houses, and then the second, third, and fourth weeks we go to the same house every, every you know at, at that time. One one guy, his name is Carl Huth. 
he has his entire basement is the Reading is the entire Reading system, Reading railroad oh, system. Yes, it's a and it's a tri-level layout. <laughs> gosh, gosh. So it, it's fun to operate on. And the other five, what are some of the other five? Um, they're they're mostly Penzi. Okay. One one is a one is a, one 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 gentleman has a what he calls the Northeast Railroad. It's, it's his own railroad, but it's based on the uh, Penzi. Interesting. A dominant railroad in your area, no doubt. Yes, that that, that was a railroad that served the the, the Delmarva Peninsula was, was the Pennsylvania, which is now well Norfolk Southern had it, and then they leased it to the Delmarva Central. So we have a brand new railroad in here. Yes. Yeah. And I and I love the paint scheme. I want to get some models. Of, you know, I want to do some modeling and paint the uh, the new paint scheme. So, what is the new paint scheme for folks listening in? It's a uh, it's like a burgundy base, and then the, the 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 top of the locomotive is black, and it's yellow lettering. Interesting. Ah, quite striking. Yes. Well, Jeff, it's always a pleasure to have you call back in. You're one of the longest-serving participants in Model Rail Radio, <laughs> and it's always good to have a chance to catch up with you and get a sense of what's going on in your area. Yeah, and, and I, I enjoy being on because uh, there for a while I have wasn't on because I didn't have a place to live, so... But now I do, and I'll be back on more often. Certainly. Well, it's always a pleasure catching up, and uh, <clears throat> great that uh, you stick it out with this hobby. And I think a lot of the friends that you've made through this hobby have certainly, you know, kept an interest in what's going on with you. And you're one of the most, when I go to shows, and I don't go to shows frequently, but when I do, <laughs> you're one of the most asked after people on Model Rail Radio. So certainly you've made an impact <laughs> on the listeners I, as well. I appreciate I appreciate that. And, uh, if, if if you're coming, you say you're coming to New Jersey. That's the plan. To New to the Jersey, uh, well, get up with me and we can. Uh, I'll, I'll I'll get you to Delmore. I've got to go to Delmore. To Delmore. I've definitely got to go and and see this pub, <laughs> and I'm really looking forward to having the opportunity to meet with you. So I'll certainly allocate some extra time. And uh, you know, I've got uh, I've got a number of friends in your part of the world now, and I need to actually spend some time there okay. so I can meet them. All right, I would love. So I, I would soon, definitely Jeff. like. I'd like to meet you too. Okay, yeah, it'd take be care. Wonderful. It'd be wonderful. Thank you for calling in. You know how to do these things. If anything comes up, yep. always a pleasure <laughs> talking with you. Take care. Take care. I'd like to welcome on David Hunt. David, as this is your first time calling into Model Rail Radio, would you like to introduce your Model Rail Riding interests? Absolutely. I am so excited to talk to you guys. I've listened to you for several years, or a couple of years, and okay. I'm excited to call in. I live in Elgin, Illinois, mm-hmm. and I model in HO. I belong to the Kane County Model Railroad Club. Mm-hmm. We're about an hour outside of Chicago. Mm-hmm. And then I have a small basement switching layout. So let's talk a little bit about your basement layout. What do you model there? My two favorite roads are the uh, Illinois Terminal and then the Chicago Tunnel Company. Mm. And I uh, have a loose, loosely based prototype railroad uh, in my basement on the Illinois Terminal. Just just a small switching layout, something to putz around with. Totally. Uh, some some guys are big, major model railroaders. I'm kind of a part-time guy, and I just like to tinker with it, and I get great fun out of it. So how big is your basement layout? It's about... About 20 feet by 6 feet. It's it's shoehorned Very into nice. a, a T-shaped space. I live in a house from the 1890s, and okay. I, I have 6-foot ceilings. So it's small. I, I goof around with it. 
Uh, one of my hobbies is uh, one of my other hobbies is home movies. So I like to okay. take uh, just just short videos and put them on YouTube, and it's a lot of fun. So in your part of the world, I'm very familiar with that kind of floor plan house size. Our house isn't quite as old as that, but certainly has low ceilings in the basement. Interesting, interesting. It's a particular era for the prototype that you're modeling. I model in the 1970s. That one okay. terminal was actually a trolley layout, or was a traction layout, and Same. It survived over the years. The founder of the railroad, uh, he, he started to go to college, and then he had to drop out in the 1890s, and he went to work for his uncle's farm mortgage company, and he learned all about the world of finance. And around the late 1800s, early 1900s, he started buying up local utilities in central Illinois, and some of them had streetcar trackage. And they, they decided that they uh, would run, uh, for one of them, Danville, Illinois, they would run a branch line out to a coal mine that they had, and it worked really well. People started wow. coming into town. So he built from town to town, and it ended up being a well-financed, well-built road that actually lasted into the 1980s. It ended up being bought up by Norfolk and Western. Yeah. The electric part uh, stopped in the 1950s, but they ran diesel operations. So I like the model the diesel operations in the 1970s. So I'm a, I'm a traction guy that likes diesel. I'm kind of backwards. Interesting. Interesting. So what particular towns through Illinois did it go through? It went north from St. Louis to Peoria, Illinois. Wonderful. And it on the way there, it went through Springfield, which is the state capital. And mm -hmm. from the state capital, it also went east. Uh, at, its, uh, at its zenith, it was over 500 miles. Uh, the steam roads in St. Louis wouldn't let it build, wouldn't let it come over their bridges, so they built their own bridge over the Mississippi River. Part of his financing is that things were built really well, and some of the structures still exist. And in a lot of cities where other traction roads failed, or in the 1920s when they weren't allowed to operate on the city streets anymore, or with mm. the Depression, Illinois Terminal had built belt lines around the outside of the towns, like Springfield and Edwardsville. And this allowed them to stay in business with top-quality trackage. So they did really well. It's fascinating, these uh, these expanding trolley lines. And it's interesting that you point out the coal mine that actually kicked these things off. Because, yeah, fascinating, fascinating. So, Mike Adorney's noted the Chicago Tunnel Railroad. What part of your layout that's, is covered by that? Oh, that, that's not something I model. That's just something that I'm, I'm an enthusiast oh, with. okay. Okay, so it's not something that you throw into the layout somehow in in perfect freelance terms. Interesting. Interesting. It, I, I'm a unique guy that likes unique railroads. The, it, without taking too long, the Chicago Tunnel Company, uh, it started off as a telephone company uh, mm -hmm. under Chicago, and it ended up with over 150 locomotives and over 3,000 freight cars. And they had 65 miles, 40 feet below uh, the Chicago streets. And they stayed in business until the 1950s. And uh, business uh, dried up for them, mostly after since the Chicago subway came through and cut off a lot of their customers. Mm. And, and then a, a really interesting part was sometimes reality is more stranger than fiction. In 1992, uh, they were going to re replace bridge piers around the drawbridges. And they sunk the new bridge piers in and they pierced the tunnel. Oh, and so the Chicago River poured into the tunnel and they oh. flooded all of downtown Chicago. And That's that was stunning. 20... That was 25 years ago this month. Yeah, it's a really cool road. A lot of folks haven't heard of it. So, was that purely industrial trackage, or did that do did that do passenger focus? Uh, the, as well? the Chicago Tunnel Company. Yeah. Uh, no, it was it was freight at the time. There was a lot of um, 
pedestrian traffic in the sh- in the downtown Chicago streets. There were streetcars, there was horse and buggy. The streets were just crowded. Mm. And, and the story was they started digging these tunnels for the telephone company. And yeah. underground in Chicago, it's clay, and they would dig it out by hand. And so, and then they would put in a, a wooden form, and they would put in cement, so there was never Family. any timbers required. Anyway, yeah. they digging out these tunnels and they're pushing out the, the clay that they dug out by hand every day and, and these ore cars and somebody realized hey this works out pretty well so they started running um, tunnels under more of the streets and they made them too big and the way they would serve their customers is either they would have an elevator that would go into the basement of a building or there would be conveyor belts or there would be chutes um, and, and if you think about this in the big downtown buildings that ran on coal this makes sense. You bring your coal to the basement sure. of the building directly, yeah. and then after you burn the coal, you can bring the ash back out. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. That's and, amazing. And, yeah, when the city, found, city of Chicago found out, uh, they they stopped operations. And, in fact, one of the big department stores in Chicago was Marshall Fields. He came down, and he was so impressed, he actually added sub-basements to the bottom of this building, and then the trains could run directly into the new sub-basement. 20 years ago, they pierced one of these tunnels and flooded Chicago. Right. When they... When the you know they weren't dumb when they built this, the engineers planned for this kind of thing and they put in big brass pumps and there was a lot of infrastructure. But yeah. when the railroad went out of business in the late fifties, the scrappers came in and they took out most of these pumps. So now all these basement connections, the water came in under the, when the Chicago Tunnel Railroad Company went under these went under the river. They had to make several crossings. Anyway, they uh, the bridge pier pierced the tunnel. So now you have a tunnel underneath a river with water continuously going in. Yeah. And how do you stop the river? I mean, you can't – the Chicago River is a large navigatable waterway. And what they ended up doing is they went farther down the street away from the river and they drilled two giant holes and they started putting they, – they ran a diver down into one of the holes and they ran an airbag into the other hole. And they inflated the airbag and the diver checked to make sure that it was okay. And he added sandbags, and once they had a plug to stop the incoming water, then further down they could make yet another hole and put in quick dry cement, and they—that's how they saved downtown Chicago. Gosh, fascinating! So the club that you belong to is a club that I've heard about previously. For folks listening in, can you describe its layout? Um, we're a small club. We're about twenty guys. We get mm-hmm. along really well with each other. We we kid around that we're actually a social club that happens to run trains rather yes. than a train club. Where we have two layouts. We have a small uh, fixed layout. It's in a 20 by 30 room. It's in the basement of an old building. Guys come down a couple times a week and we run and socialize and have a good time. We have a you know a TV on the wall and a DVD player. So we, we watch train movies while we run our models and have a great time. And then we also have a, uh, a portable modular layout that we take to different shows. Uh, once upon a time, we were in a uh, canning factory, and we got evicted. And the guy, the members at that time, decided uh, maybe having a portable layout would keep the club in business. And as mm-hmm. time went along, they found another space. So we ended up with twenty guys with two layouts to maintain. So we do a couple shows a year, and we have a good time with it. Real, real nice group of guys, and it's also HO. Certainly, certainly. Could I mention a couple things? Certainly. As a guy who's a traction enthusiast, even even though I model in the diesel age, as a traction enthusiast, I'm I don't have anything traction right now, but I'm I'm really excited about it. And I'm kind of waiting for the technology to come along. I, I see Mike Slater a post on on the Facebook page, and I follow a couple of the uh, Facebook groups, but it, it looks like it's difficult. I'm sure guys do it, and it doesn't seem that rough. But at the same time, I'm listening to your podcast, and I listen to the guys talk about Blue Rail. And talk about dead rail. And I think, boy, when the day when they can really incorporate the blue rail 
off of a battery and a, and a traction Gosh. head. Now, oh, now yeah. the overhead wire doesn't have to be alive. How cool would that be? Sure. I really think that traction is a, because of the tight curves and because of the small spaces required, it seems like it would really take off once it got going, especially with uh, students and dormitories or those that are in, have to retire and go into apartments. It, it just seems like a real potential, and it's a shame that not much done, not much more happens with it. Yeah. Well, I think it's the perfect format, and my understanding, I mean, certainly talking to Dave Reese periodically, is that, and also obviously Duncan McCree, the dead rail technology is getting smaller and smaller and smaller, so... You know, I think it's a no-brainer. And it, it's funny, actually, because also, as you note, it's an area where more people... I have friends in Australia that aren't model railroad enthusiasts, but they love trolleys. And I think it would be easy to sell dead rail trolleys, or at least the components for them. And, yeah, a completely different market, particularly, as you note, you know, modeling more city-like environments and these kind of things, it would be all really very interesting. I'll give you my last real pitch for those guys that are out there that do technology. I'm waiting for uh, a locomotive that has a webcam in it that could would that could be run off of JMRI or off of the Internet, for that matter. Mm-hmm. How cool would it be to sit at home and operate a, a train on the club layout? We have a club member who's in the Air Force in uh, Maryland right now. How cool would it be for us to be down at the club layout and let him run uh, a consist and and from his perspective with the webcam he could see it from an engineer view and from our perspective it's 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 something that runs by itself you know run a passenger train or something so for those out there who do that kind of thing the day when the webcam comes with web control how cool oh, would yeah. that be well it also forces you to improve your modeling skills because if you're seeing the layout from that particular perspective i mean you already have things that hold iphones and this kind of stuff but it forces a different kind of modeling as well because you have that level of detail at a very particular angle that most people, when they're modeling, aren't considering. So, you know, many possible aspects here. To... Yeah, not a lot different from the uh, virtual railroading, like on the, uh, the, the Microsoft train simulator. Uh, the idea of a train layout where you would operate from, from an engineer's point of view, just cool. Just, just a whole different perspective. Imagine a layout uh, two feet wide and 100 feet long, you know? Amen. Amen. Dave, thank you for calling in. I do appreciate you've uh, been a, a long-time listener, first-time caller, so it's always great to have folks such as yourself call in. Please do stay on the call. If anything else comes up, you know what to do. Very good. Nice to meet you for the first time, Tom. Take care, folks. I'd like to welcome back on a gentleman who used to be a fixture in Model Rail Radio terms, Father-son team, Jim Rent. Jim, how's Peter doing? Uh, Peter's doing actually very well. In the other, he's in the other room, uh, presently uh, sniping from afar with his brother on on the uh, uh, Xbox. Oh, nice. <clears throat> but uh, he's doing very well. Uh, very good. He's uh, on the verge of graduating high school this this coming May, and uh, he's received a full ride scholarship to uh, a local college, and I'm Wonderful. very proud of him for that. And uh, as he should. Yes. He's uh, he's got some some future plans, but he's he's getting his life in order first before we go too crazy on model railroading. And so we're Certainly. working on getting our basement back in order and all that good stuff. Oh man, oh man, yeah. It's been Very one good. of those years. You know? <laughs> Very good. So, in terms of your model railroading, what what have you been up to? Uh, actually, I've I've been uh, acquiring a few things here and there, uh, trying to stay era specific for my steam ideas. But uh, uh, I've, I've created a bunch of designs. Uh, 
you, you know the, the the problem with being a, a model railroader with with a few a few uh, home skills if you will uh you know you you, you never quite know where to limit yourself. Mm. And, uh, and so there's, there's always the dream of, uh, having a traction layout and having a steam era layout and having a diesel era layout. And, and, and of course there's, there's somebody who says, well, I thought you liked Amtrak. Yeah. Okay. Well, you know, yeah. Where, where's the Northeast corridor when you need it. But uh, I've actually been toying a lot with, uh, with, with a small shelf layout, uh, on top of the, the regular transition era layout. Uh, and the, and the shelf layout would be an 1870s, um, Lo- local line uh, in which literally everything would be handcrafted because I've already uh, I secretly haven't been taking any photo I haven't been taking any photographs but I've secretly been building 1870s era cars with uh, actual Ooh. Lincoln pin couplers uh, in N scale um, in N scale so, yes yes if you ever hear that there's a man in Wisconsin who cracked and he's sitting in a corner going <laughs> couplers <laughs> couplers you'll you'll know who they're talking about so Lincoln um, pin in N scale that yes. seems to be to be exactly as you describe, as you have with the man in the corner giggling to himself. How, how practical is that? Uh, it, it's extremely impractical. Uh, it requires uh, small magnets to, to pull out the pins if you're going to uncouple cars. Okay. Um, so far, I've, I've basically, uh, the, 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 the coupler itself, the coupler pocket, uh, I've had to obviously hand carve each one of these at this point because I, I don't like... I don't like where where casting has gone with it. It's because it's still just too thin, and 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 if I use boxes, if I use like a styrene box rod, I mean you know a hollow uh, rod, obviously. Uh, uh, I mean a tube, I should say, or tube. Wow, I can really. It's it's been a hollow rod. It's, it's English. like it one a.m. Right? Hand. Isn't it one thirty where you are or something? Eleven thirty. Eleven thirty. Oh, only eleven thirty. Okay, sorry. Yes. Yeah, yeah. No, that's okay. I'm I'm still up. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it feels no, like one thirty where I am. <laughs> yeah, if I use a, a square tube, um, uh, I can carve out uh, something that looks, generally speaking, roughly like an 1870s uh, Lincoln pen coupler. And the links, I, I, I basically just form with, with brass wire uh, and um, just give them a little bit of solder just to hold them in, in that shape. But, you know, you're obviously going to lose them. And, and you know, the, the funny part of that is that might be the most realistic part of the operation. Mm. Because uh, there, there were tons to this day. They're still finding people are still digging up Lincoln pin couplers along main lines mm. uh, when things get turned over or let go and, and uh, dug up. And um, I mean, I found an eighteen seven uh, actually an 1865 rail uh, uh, from the Sheboygan and Fond du Lac line uh, near Plymouth in the mud when they started digging up the line to rebuild it. And uh, I, I took that home, and it's probably now in my in my yard. But uh, it, it, it's kind of formed an inspiration for me. It's a local line I've, I've been interested in for a long time, but it, it presents a lot of challenges. But uh, but it's something that I, I think, um, you know, a lot of times we get to a point where we get tired of buying the out-of-the-box stuff, the ready-to-run stuff. Yeah. And, and uh, it, it's, it's, you know, it's not about the bragging rights. It's more about just seeing if you can actually, if you could actually do this. And I've managed to find enough information to find out what the little depots were like along the line and uh, what their first roundhouse was like, which which did burn to the ground. Which actually gave us a better description than when they first opened it, uh, ironically. But um, but the line that I'm interested in modeling only ever had five or six locomotives, okay. so it's uh, and just little four four O's. So and there's a few photos of it around, so we, we know what their uh, you know what their logo looked like and things of that nature. So it's it's pretty exciting that way. So the Lincoln Pink couplers sound interesting, but in terms of the locomotives, how are you sourcing those? Well, Atlas has uh, produced some nice little four four O's in. Uh, 
Again, HO scale that run very solid. Uh, they're, they're the right size, um, roughly about an 1870s era Baldwin mm-hmm. uh, American locomotive. Um, and the uh, the Bachman locomotives are okay, and actually those have the ability to pull the smoke box off and shorten the, uh, the locomotive slightly. So mm-hmm. for the early, really early 1859 era locomotives, the first two that they had, I could probably make something happen with that. Uh, it's, you know, an end scale. And going back that far in history, it's matter. It's really a matter of getting close, certainly, uh, more than being perfect. Uh, you know, so it's 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 pretty neat. Hmm. And in terms of structures of the era, I mean, mm-hmm. obviously that's what's coming next. What what are you sourcing right. in terms of structures? Um, well, there's a, in a lot of cases, I, I think I'll just be making what I know of the area, and I know what's left from that era in town that's been mm-hmm. obviously recovered and. And uh, aluminum siding kind of thing done to it. Uh, you, you can get a feeling for what some of the buildings were back then. I do actually have the have the plans for the original 1859 depot, and I've talked to people who recently restored one of the depots that later had several expansions done to it. And he told me, well, this depot originally was just a little agent's mm. hut, you know, roughly ten feet by ten feet. Um, he and he showed me. He took me inside the building and showed me the original timbers and all this stuff. And so I got a feel for what the the building would be like. But in a lot of cases, you're going to have, uh, you know, a small grain elevator, um, mostly wood structures, obviously. Uh, perhaps a you know a a, a two story um, pillared uh, railroad hotel or something like that, somewhere along the line for travelers' rest. Um, uh, probably a gallows turntable or two somewhere along the route. And, oh yeah. Interestingly enough, my, my wife grew up in one of the small towns that's on the line, that was on the line. And so I thought, well, it'd be kind of fun to make her hometown one of the stops along the way. There's about Ooh. 10 towns, but it would, but it'd be good to just pick a couple along the way and give a sample sure. of how it was. Very nice. Very nice. Well, yeah. when you're ready to reveal the photographs, <laughs> please feel free to send them onto the Model Rail Radio Facebook group because I'm sure there are a lot of people that would be really interested. In seeing this particular yeah. prototype. Okay. Be happy to do that. And I'm amazed that you're not blind currently, but maybe it's... <laughs> well, you, you and my eye doctor. <laughs> <laughs> my view is Lincoln Bean Cutler's in end scale. Hmm. That's a part of the hobby that... Uh, uh, yeah. I... Well, she, she, actually, she actually asked me... This is a funny... I, I just thought I should mention my eye doctor. She actually said to me, she said, I'd really like to see what your work is like sometime. She said, I know you only really come in here once a year for your appointment. She said, but... Well, if you think of it, one of these times, and so I brought one or two of the little handmade cars that I made along, and she looked at me, she goes, she just looks at she goes, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, she looks at me, she goes, you're nuts. <laughs> That's a medical that, that opinion, about, right? That's a medical opinion. That was opinion. about it. Very good. <laughs> yeah, yes, exactly. It's a medical opinion, exactly. Very good. Jim, always a pleasure catching up. Please pass my regards to Peter when he's done sniping. Pleasure <laughs> to uh, to talk to you as always. Very good. Thanks, Tom. Great to talk to you. I'd like to welcome back on Mike Slater. Mike, you're a fixture associated with Model Rail Radio, but in terms of Model Rail Rating terms, since we last talked about a month ago, what's been going on with your Model Rail Rating hobby? In fact, let me preempt this by saying, as I was editing the last show and posting it, you were actually doing the traction wiring course that you were talking about when you were last on Model Rail Radio. Yep, well, actually, I was, uh, it was scheduled, and I, uh, I had the, uh, the part one of the course, uh, mm-hmm learned how to do hanging of the overhead wire on straight tracks and also putting on a diverging path with the 
set of turnouts for a crossover, and uh, I I feel confident that I can lay all of the straight trackage with overhead wire without a problem. Cool. Uh, the next course is going to be curves where you have to add additional uh, pull-offs to keep your overhead wire following the center line of the track. Of course, the ironic part, all these courses, my buddy uh, works at a funeral home, and being that uh, the funeral home is kind of halfway between my house and his house, uh, it was just kind of a convenient meeting place to learn how to do a, uh, what some people would almost kind of call a, a dying aspect in the hobby, actually in a funeral home. Rimshot. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Very practical. Very practical to do yes. it in a funeral home. So in terms of upcoming stuff, what are you looking forward to in particular in the next couple of months? Well, the uh, the main thing is completing the overhead uh, wiring on my three modules that I'm building because at the end of May will be the first setup of the uh, trolley modeler uh, group that I belong to. Uh, there's four of us that are uh, between the ages of uh, 25 and about 41 that have resurrected the Northwest Traction Group mm-hmm. out of uh, that was based out of Illinois. And uh, one of the neat things, even though these these gentlemen said that they retired and they weren't going to do any more shows, uh, we have one of their uh, original founding members that's uh, actually driving to Milwaukee's Train Fest this year uh, with one of his modules from Arizona to partake in the resurrected Northwest Traction Group. Uh, uh, modelers in that. So that's uh, a very good sign seeing that some of the the original founding guys are helping us young guns out and mm. in turn us young guns will help set up their modules so these older gentlemen in their 70s and 80s don't have to get on the floor and that and get up and up and down and all that type of stuff. Um, but uh, it's a, a great uh, asset of learning off of some of these older modelers uh, teaching the newer generation on uh, how to do some things before the, the art is totally lost. Certainly, certainly. So, so important in this hobby is chronicling methods and ideas. Just as you say, I mean, the practical histories as well. There's so much to be learned and sadly, so little time to do it. So hats off to you for doing this yeah. particular thing. Fascinating. Yeah. And one of these days I'll... I've been trying to twist uh, my buddy's arm, uh, Andy, that's been teaching me how to do this overhead. Mm-hmm. He's actually in his uh, mid-20s, and he's been acquiring some of the older mod- modules off the uh, the original founding members mm-hmm. of the Northwest Traction Group. And uh, actually, he just acquired a few months back a uh, featured layout that was uh, featured in Model Rarity back in the, the late 80s, I think early 90s, about uh, a trolley layout construction. And he actually got the layout that was built for the article and photographed in the article. So hopefully I can uh, twist his arm and get him on here one of these di- uh, oh, yeah. days. Oh, yeah. It's interesting, actually, because I periodically look at some of my wall space and think to myself, if only I could get a reasonable shelf site layout. Now, I mean, there are builders in my part of the world of pretty high distinction. But, uh, yeah, the ability for people to source and find prior layouts, prior prior layouts with some provenance, and uh, acquire them. I mean, you've participated in some of this stuff. You've been lucky on some occasion associated with individual models. How how does the network work 
I think I remember having this conversation with someone previously, but how how does that actually occur? I think it's sometimes it's just luck and being in the right place at the right time. Yeah. Uh, the way my uh, buddy Andy, he found uh, that one trolley layout that was featured in uh, Model Railroad, which was called the Odell Traction uh, Railroad. And uh, the way he found out about that, that layout was uh, on, we have a Facebook group for uh, traction modeling. And the gentleman that actually built the layout, he had sold it off to another gentleman. And he had found out from that gentleman that he was wanting to sell it. And um, he had posted on there that uh, this layout is up for sale. If anybody's interested, contact me. And uh, uh, I would have contacted the, the gentleman, but I, I wouldn't have had, had a place to store the layout properly. And But my buddy Andy, he contacted him. And uh, after... Uh, a few conversations. Uh, he had agreed upon a price with the the gentleman that owned the layout, and uh, uh, went down there one weekend and uh, acquired the layout. Yes, yes. I think certainly it was probably Marty McGurk I was talking to about this maybe three years ago. There seems to be a network that exists perhaps on the east coast, but yeah, it's, it's so out of the realm. I mean, very, very, very occasionally, like maybe once a year. You see a layout appear on eBay that has some provenance. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, as you say, most of the time it's um, luck. <laughs> yeah. A little bit of who you know, but mainly luck. So, yes, yeah, interesting. interesting. So, in terms of line-up, yes. are there any things that you're looking at currently, any bits of restoration that you're doing? Is the Chicago, have you been to the Chicago O-Scale uh, yes. meet? Yeah, so that, it was at the O-Scale meet that oh. was... Uh, at the end of last month in March, and uh, uh, there I acquired a, uh, a North Shore uh, battery electric uh, two-rail old-scale uh, freight motor, a mm. uh, model that I've been kind of looking for and uh, found a, a brass model of it, and uh, it was kind of a basket case and rough, mm-hmm. and I've since stripped it, repainted it, uh, uh, ordered uh, some of the missing little bits and pieces, uh from a different company and got those on there. Now my next thing is uh, the side frames of the locomotive uh, were missing. So at least I have another model in old scale that I can remove them from that model, uh, make rubber molds and then cast them out of resin. Hmm. So that's going to be my next thing is to order some casting supplies and make uh, the side frames for the locomotive. But uh, that was my biggest acquisition at the show. Did bump into Terry Gaskin uh, Ooh, how's Terry doing? Oh, he's doing very good. Uh, okay. He's uh, now living uh, in uh, downtown Chicago. Certainly, uh, yeah. he used to be living out in the burbs. Yep. And uh, his layout had to be completely dismantled, yep. but he's now building a new layout, uh, mm-hmm. more of a, just a, a little shelf layout. And uh, he's actually gone from the three rail O scale to two rail O scale. Ooh. And uh, he's. He's uh, incorporating the Chicago Elevated and also uh, Chicago Surface Line Street Running on his uh, his display modules and that. Uh, so I know he's actually doing uh, fairly well in that. Cool. And uh, I've been trying to drag him to call back in, and he yeah, definitely with him. It's uh, just scheduling in that. Certainly, certainly. Well, Mike Slater, I am fading fast, so I have probably time for only one. Further person. Always a pleasure chatting, Mike. Please pass on my oh, regards to, uh, to all as you meet them. 
no sign of Terry Terrence at the O scale, though. No, didn't see uh, Terry, and I didn't see uh, the traveling turnout priest. He, neither of those uh, gentlemen showed up this year. Mr. Lincoln's a maybe, but Terry typically could be there. Yeah. So interesting. Thank you. Yep. like to welcome back on Nigel Gutschel. Nigel, been a while since we've got a Brisbane update. What's been going on in your part of the world? Not a great deal, actually. Mostly just working on the uh, shed, trying to finish that, mm-hmm. learning about plastering. So uh, Wonderful. No, not very exciting, unfortunately, but <laughs> um, <laughs> it, uh, it's, it's a means to an end, so that's sure. about all I can say. But, uh, yes. No, otherwise it's been uh, increasing the collection. I... Um, Put down a lot of money and picked up one of those scale trains um, TTL uh, turbines. So that's uh, I've been looking for that for for decades to come out in plastic. I've been looking at it in brass, and I just oh, yeah. shudder at the prices. And, yes, um, this was about the closest I was ever going to get. So saving my little spondulies as much as I could. So <laughs> yeah, now I just need to uh, to finish off the uh, outhouse or shed and. Uh, there's a lot of work involved to, to finish it off. I heard you had um, on the last um, program, I can't remember his name. He, he was from up prison. Oh, yeah. well, um, You've got to look him up. I mean, that, that Melbourne layout, I told people outside the hobby about that layout because, you know, just so iconic. And, yeah, he sounds like the right guy to do it as well. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he's, uh, he's actually the um, the president up here for Queensland of the... Um, National Law Robo Association. Yeah. So yeah, I'm surprised he didn't mention it, actually. He described himself as a lone wolf modeler and then it just came out that mysteriously yeah. he did all this other stuff as well. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm trying to stay away from what he's doing with, and, uh, what, and other the, people the said today. With many different parts yes, of the house. The, and the many scales. Yeah. Yes. yes, exactly. So otherwise you get nothing done. But yes. um, some people are, are amazingly um, uh, constructive and can get a lot done. Like, um, like Mike can, he can, he can amazing yeah. how he can push stuff through. So, but uh, no, nothing very exciting, unfortunately, from this side. I was mostly just listening in. I, I dropped yeah. off before because um, I was doing some work, and uh, I've just tested out the feature as they have waterproof an iPhone Seven is. So I got a little cool. bit of a quick dunk in the pool, and it's still going. Very cool, <laughs> very cool. <laughs> Developed in California, as they say in the spell world, at least. So, yes, will be interesting up. how that happens. Always a pleasure catching up, Nigel. Yes, right. and Thanks, Tom. M- making making a structure in Australia weatherproof is a very and and bug proof and elements proof in general is a very multifaceted project. I, I probably mentioned this last time you were on, but my brother purchased a fixer upper in Canberra, and um, nice. yeah, the wildlife comes in every evening and leaves every morning. So I've experienced <laughs> that uh, very recently. No, we haven't quite got. Yeah, mostly geckos. They've, they've uh, moved in from Indonesia somehow. Oh, and, yes. uh, you know, our, our joyous border patrol haven't been doing their job too well around here. I think they've been letting yeah. a lot of stuff in, and we've got issues with white spot with prawns now yeah. up here. And um, so yeah, we've got all sorts of little insects and, and yeah. bugs up here that um, some nastier than others. Yeah, they've made their way no down. No snakes, to... fortunately. Ah, oh, interesting. Yeah, a number have made their way down to Canberra. And, uh, it's good. I mean, as an Australian, as an Australian overseas, I look at these folks and their complaints associated with, you know, small ants and these kind of things. So it's good to get back to Australia and get 
reacquainted with the wildlife and insect life in very practical terms. <laughs> yes. Bye, guys. Hum. Always a pleasure chatting, Nigel. Thank you for calling in. <laughs> Thank you. So, as folks are noting, my voice is failing. So, Tony Ryan and uh, uh, Mike Deverell and co, who are still on the call, unfortunately, my understanding is that Mike Slater... Look, Mike, Mike Slater, while you're, while you're up here, let me ask you a question. Sure. Can you record a post-show for old times' sake, since you've got call Yeah, recorder? if, uh, if uh, Tony and uh, Mike want to yeah. give an update, uh, I can record that audio. And, uh, Damn, Skippy. Because the way, the way Skype works now, when, when you hang up on the call, yep. whoever's on the call remains on the call. So yep. I noticed also earlier on there was a link, uh, which I'll have to experiment with, that uh, uh, you could probably post a link where maybe people then can direct in without having oh, yeah. to now, how have you that? added. How do we do that technology? Yeah, I'll have to... I, cause I noticed when I signed in, there was uh, it's popped up the message, share photos, messages, and much more people by sharing this link with them. So I'm not sure if that link will direct people into the direct call for that particular call, or we'll have to play scroll, with that a little bit. Scroll to the top of the chat, I think, and it, where it says your call has now been set oh, up. Wow. Okay, I'm going to post this to Model Rail Radio, the Facebook group, and just say this is a post show, and uh, no doubt you'll. Uh, the Strang Army will. Uh, yeah, because then if the call if the call's still going, even if I'm off of it, it uh, should still technically uh, people should be able to join in and sign in. Then. Yeah, it may not be recorded, obviously, but. Uh, yeah. Okay, I've just posted that in. Uh, well, let me let me sign off this show, and then I'll let you uh, let you go postal. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you have so, a good one, Tom. You too, Mike. Always a pleasure chatting. So, folks, you need a throat doctor. Yeah, something like that. It, it happens every evening, actually, without fail. Around this time, I lose my voice. So well, that must tell you something. Yes, it does. Believe <laughs> me. It's, it's what's worse is when I wake up and I don't have a voice, which happens all too frequently as well. So, uh-huh. It's been an amazing model rail radio recorded this evening. A couple of new callers, a couple of folks getting their audio together. Always great to have people calling in, particularly first-time callers, introducing their layouts, this kind of stuff, and obviously long-term participants as well. Hats off to Jeff Shockley. A long-time participant. Always great talking with Jeff. For folks listening in, thank you very much. For the folks who participated this evening, thank you too. Good evening. Good evening. Good night. Good night, Good night. Good night, Good night, Tom. That's what it should be. Very good. Good night, Tom. Yeah, you can always add a Cylon voice over that and mask yeah, whatever. Like that. Anyway, I'm hanging up, folks. Pleasure as always. Mike Slater, you know what to do. Okay.